0: Hey everybody! Welcome to GMB Show Fitness Podcast. I'm Jarlo. I'd like to welcome my good friend Duff Duffy here. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, I met, well, met online, (laughs) Duff, about three, four years ago, and actually worked with him uh, a couple years ago on on what. I guess you can call it change work, right? Personal transformation. Change
1: work or coaching. Right? Or yeah. Whatever you
0: want to call it. life I don't know about life coaching, but yeah. <laughs> coaching I don't know. and dinner. I'm
1: not the expert in your life, at least.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Duff is great. He has a very a varied background in, in NLP, right? Hypnotherapy. A lot of that personal transformation change work. And, and not just, uh, you know, a lot of that can be really woo-woo, right? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but... It's also very useful to get into the, the psychological research, right? And the newest research and, and, and all that. And I know Duff has been really up to date on that. Yeah. Right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing the last year too? Oh, well,
1: more of the same. Just continuing to learn as much as I can. Uh, lately, I've been really interested in going back to hypnosis and hypnosis skills, really sharpening my skills there. I've been learning from a guy named Mike Mandel, who's really great. He's got a, a great online course. Um, you know, I've already learned a lot of this stuff before, but I feel like going back to the fundamentals is really useful. And Mike really teaches in a, in a nice structured way. So the idea with hypnosis is that we have sort of a conscious mind, and unconscious mind, most of what we do, we do automatically. So we say we do it unconsciously. And so if you want to make a change in your, say, your behaviors, your habits, which are automatic, it's hard to do that with just pure willpower, with just pure conscious mind. Um, It's helpful to have some tools, which NLP and hypnosis both are, tools for changing unconscious processes, whether that's your thinking processes, Uh, your emotions or your behavior and uh, so i've been going back to some of the fundamentals of that really practicing it starting to apply it more with clients and
0: it's really fun oh that's awesome yeah continuing education right always learning always always growing
1: yeah there's so much to learn out there of course
0: would you say that's a major part of your your client work is including the hypnosis
1: you know i haven't included a lot of it Uh, that I've been learning yet because I'm still sort of in the learning phases, but I do try to uh, sprinkle it in here and there and do some experiential stuff. Cause I think a lot of people, when they come to a coach or a life coach or even a a psychotherapist, like they want to talk about their problems or their talk about their goals. But actually I think a lot of the real effective stuff is when you close your eyes and you imagine something and you make some changes in an experiential way. So I'm always trying to get people to have more of an experience of something rather than just be sort of intellectual or cognitive about it, which is useful, too. But uh, I think the real change comes from experience. It's the same sort of thing with exercise. Like you're not going to learn that much from watching YouTube videos or instructional. you got to actually have the experience of what it feels like in your body. And it's the same sort of thing on the psychological level. You have to have the experience of what it's like uh, in your mind and your body in order to really make that change, I think, a lot of times.
0: Yeah, a lot of times, uh, you know, like you're saying, we could. A lot of our clients are like, oh, they get hung up on trying to make the perfect program, right? Right. right. Really make these these uh, these plans, right? Make these plans <laughs> before you even do it, and more than just that, you should be doing it and go ahead and get started. But you don't realize what adjustments you really need to make until it happens, Total. right? Right. Yeah. You can you can try this this great plan, or like, oh, I'm I'm learning all about this, and I, I know if I do this correctly and I just you know mm-hmm. if I rest 50 seconds here and if I you know make <laughs> sure I get my my rating of this I'm as correct. guilty of this as right anything, right sure. <laughs> but you really don't know what adjustments and how you'll adapt until until you start so right.
1: right yeah yeah totally yeah so I've been working on that and I've been coming up with uh you know I'm always trying to learn a little bit here and there I'm you know, I work. I have a day job as well. I'm not just a full time coach, but I have a day job working for a couple that I've learned so much from, Steve and Connie Ray Andreas, who are uh, been really great uh, developers of neuro-linguistic programming since the beginning. Uh, and I've really been sort of mentoring under them in a way. I mean, they have not officially, but, you know, working for them and just being around them and soaking in their life's work has been really profound for me. And I'm, I'm continuing to work on how do I bring that into the world as well? Cause it's not really very well known stuff. Most people listening probably don't know any of this is. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's really excellent because NLP in particular. So the, you know, it stands for neuro linguistic programming. Really, it's about. Models and tools for personal change and better communication skills. So if you have – and the change element is about changing these unconscious processes. Um, And it can be applied to anything. So Steve Andreas, who I work for, mostly applies it to psychotherapy. So he's got techniques for resolving post-traumatic stress disorder and grief and uh, anger and anxiety and these sorts of things that someone might go to a therapist for. But you can also apply this to parenting, or to uh, sales, or to communicating better with your with anybody at work, or your family, or or just getting into a better state of mind uh, to take on your day or whatever. So uh, anyway, there's just lots of different tools that you can use. From yeah, I really stuff.
0: enjoyed when we did this a couple years ago. I, I for me, some of the most uh, when we were working on it the things i got out of it the most were, were the modeling right the yeah. modeling and then these uh these personal maps right i th- i think that's what we used to call it, like right. these you know cognitive mental mapping and that that helped quite a bit Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the basic
1: idea with that is like, we all have this map of the world that we're operating from that we think is reality. So we go out there and we look at things and we, you know, we learn whatever we learn. And then we have this idea like, this is how it is. This is how reality is when it's actually just this map of reality we have in our head. And there's a saying that goes back to, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Science Insanity. He wrote this big, huge book. But anyway, the saying is the map is not the territory. I also like the menu is not the meal. Like imagine going into a restaurant and you see a menu and it has these pictures of all this food on it and you start eating the menu. And a lot <laughs> of people do that right. metaphorically mm-hmm. in that we think like, you know, I can do this, I can't do this, or, you know, this is possible for me, this isn't possible for me, or, um, or in like the growth mindset, fixed mindset thing. Like this is a fixed, my intelligence is fixed. My, my, my physical ability is fixed. Or it's not. It's something I can improve with effort, and we think this is reality itself. But it's actually just this model of reality. And uh, until we get, until we actually start paying more attention to what's going on, we can be confused by that and be limited by that in all these different ways, and feel like we don't have any choices. That's really where it ends up showing up. It's like, well, I don't have the choices in this situation. I don't have a lot of options. Uh, and that's, I think, a lot of what GMB does with all their with all your movement stuff is like giving you more physical possibilities. That's right. And
0: that's right. More choices. And I, I love that. I mean, I talked with my uh, friend Rolando uh, last week, also on this podcast, and he talked about that too. And I love that word choice. Right? Choice and options and variability and and um, you know, going back to psychological research and all of that. You know, there's the concepts of of locus of control, you know, external and internal. And, and uh, that the feelings of helplessness is when you think the control is outside of yourself. Right, it's right. external. And then when when really the people that are resilient and adaptable, they they have it in their head or, or within themselves and understand that the locus of control is, intern- is within themselves. And yeah. this is one I, I know we wanted to, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about stoicism. Yeah. Which which is great. I mean, uh, there's been kind of a resurgence in the last couple Mm -hmm. of years. Uh, Obstacles the Way, right, Mm -hmm. is is one of those books. I think Ryan. Ryan Holiday.
1: Yeah, Ryan Holiday.
0: Uh, There's Mm -hmm. a couple of other things with, with, uh, like adaptations and and all of that stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Stoicism's great. I, I, I'm, I'm basically sold on it at this right, point. Right, you?
0: You're a disciple <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> I read, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I just got back into it recently. I've read Epictetus years ago and Marcus Aurelius in college, um, not even for a specific philosophy class, even though I was a philosophy major, uh, and really was inspired by it at the time. I was kind of going through a rough time, pretty depressed in college, read Epictetus, and he makes this distinction right at the beginning of his handbook, and he says, you know, there's there's things that are within our power and there's things that are not within our power. And basically, if you try to control things that are not within your power, you're gonna have a bad time. It's not gonna work. So, you know, I realized I actually, yeah, I did I did an exercise with this that possibly is unique. I haven't actually seen this in the stoic world, but I just made two columns. I said, in my control, in one column, not in my control, in another column, and I started writing down all the things I was worried about. And they were all in the "not in my control" column, <laughs> and then next to each one, I put, "Well, what is in my control in relation to this?" So, like at the time, you know, it was the the late '90s, early 2000s. Global warming had just become this big thing that you know, everyone was really concerned about, which is still a problem, obviously. Uh, and I wrote, "Global warming, not in my control. <laughs> you know, I can't right. really stop it. You know, not me personally. But what can I do? Well, you know, I can I can try not to uh, use too much resources myself." You know, I could give money to environmental organizations, I could volunteer, I could do various things, but global warming itself is not in my control. That was a huge burden lifted off my
0: back at the time. Yeah, even just hearing you talk about it, I mean, you can tell that that would relieve a lot of anxiety. Yeah, right. And and I've I've seen this. I have a lot of, you know, with patients, I'm a physical therapist and I've had patients over the years and you end up being a bartender, right? You end up being (laughs) a a counselor just there because we're we're probably, except for psychologists and, and all of that, uh, therapists are, are probably the, the people you spend the most time with per appointment, you know, 45 minutes an hour, right? And so you go in there, you're helping them with their pain and, or, you know, recovery, and, and it's just automatic, they start talking to you. And, and it's interesting, most, lot of people have a very high level of sensitivity to even these what you would call global problems like global warming right the state of the economy all of these things
1: who's going to get the nomination for president right especially now all this stuff and it's really dramatic and (laughs) and it affects this biologically and Mm -hmm. stress hormones and physiologically and uh, you know, and then we get angry about something not related, and right. then we take out that anger on our on our partner or our family. Um, you know, so it is it is useful to know about these things and to use them. You know, this basic idea of control and sort of the locus of control, of course, it shows up in many different ways. And the, the classic Serenity Prayer in Alcoholics mm. Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, give me the courage to know the difference between what's in my control and what's not, or or the wisdom. I, I can't ever remember right, the exact right. words. Uh, but it all, it comes back all the way to Stoicism and to Epictetus and to Marcus Aurelius and to Seneca, the big names in Stoicism that we still know about. Um, and it's, it's really quite simple, but quite powerful. So, you know, a lot of the things that we're concerned about, we're concerned about them or we worry about them or we stress about them because we're stressing about the aspect that's not in our control. hmm So even health issues, you know, we all have our own unique health issues unless you're perfectly healthy, which congratulations. But, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you know, like I've got chronic gut issues that I'm always working on. Uh, You know, and I can't control that directly, but I can control what I put in my mouth. I can control what supplements I take. I control whether I'm meditating or like, you know, trying to chill out my nervous system or not. And that's all I can do. And that's really the philosophy of stoicism is this idea that that's good enough for a good life. right? Uh, that's what's radical about this Stoic idea is, you know, we tend to think that a good life requires something that's not in our control, like money or fame or reputation or, you know, having a certain number of Instagram followers or
0: whatever it is. <laughs> right. And it's not to downplay these anxieties and these stresses, right? I mean, it, they're real things. Totally. But but to, to have that choice of, okay, how can I, how can I really affect this? And you know what is in my control, and and all of that, I think is is amazing of just just immediately reducing some of that burden. Totally,
1: yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's a. I, I recommend people check it out. I the book that really won me over it might not be the same for everyone else, but I really like Donald Robinson's book. I forget what it's called. It's like has it's like a in the teach yourself series. Uh, In any case, we can find it and throw it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll
0: put it in the links. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that one was great. But also the classics are really fantastic, even if you don't want to convert to Stoicism. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine with whatever philosophy of life you currently have. People perennially love Marcus Aurelius' Meditations or Epictetus' Handbook and Discourses or Seneca's Letters. They're just fantastic wisdom literature that really makes you think about life and how to live it and... You know, the relationship between virtue and the good life, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, it's really great stuff.
0: Well, I like, uh, you know, with, you talk about the classics, and then we have, like, the newer research on the – we talk a lot about Carol Dweck's work here in yeah. and I mean, it was just cl- – that self-theories was just, oh, I could read that every week. It's I know. Just, it's just beautiful work. And, yeah. it, and it fits, and it, you just think back to your own experiences and back to, you know – Relating to your clients and even family members, are like wow, this this fits. This, this makes sense. And a lot of times, it you know, even if something makes sense before, maybe it's not necessarily true. But you know, to see research borne out like this, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, just, th- that's why I think Carol Dweck's work is so important because it's it's not just like a one off. You know, we we hear a lot of these research articles that come through Facebook or social media or whatever, and it's just like a one off study that hasn't really been verified over 20, 30 years time in multiple populations and all this. And Dweck's work has, it's educational psychology. It's been verified from, from, you know, little kids up to college students and beyond. And it's all about, you know, do you believe that your abilities are fixed or do you believe that your abilities are changeable? And what are the impacts of that? Because people tend to think that the whole thing that determines success, whether academically or otherwise, is confidence in your abilities. We hear this all the time from self-help people. They're like, you just need to have confidence. You just need to believe in your abilities and believe in yourself and you'll be good. But in fact, doesn't seem to work out that way because if you believe in your abilities, but you believe your abilities are fixed, then when you experience a challenge, you'll give up really easily or you'll blame somebody else or you'll make excuses in these ways. Whereas if you believe, you do, maybe don't believe that you have much ability, you believe that you're sort of a noob at whatever you're doing, but you believe that you can improve with effort and with good strategies, then when you encounter a challenge, you'll be like, oh, this is cool. You know, this is kind of fun. I'll take this on or, you know, I'll, I'll rise to the challenge in right. some
0: way. You know, the and uh, this is what I talk about a lot with different people is the belief that you'll get better, right, whether it's fitness yeah. or recovery from, right. from injury and pain. You know this—the learned helplessness where you you just deep down don't believe you're going to get better. Well, how can you get better then? I right. mean, you're, you're already in that hole. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Are, I think you see
1: that a lot with your uh-huh. with your pain clients too. Oh, yeah. 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 I see that with with some clients too. It's like, and I've been there myself, so I can relate. Um, you know, there's like if you've been if you've had a problem for a long time, it's a kind of chronic keep showing up and you've gone to all the doctors and you know you've done you've gone the circuit I think oftentimes the, the medical establishment sort of tra- teaches people Abs- learn helplessness no
0: totally yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big thing in the last at least 10 to 15 years to try and and remove that right this this biopsychosocial model to try and get people away from oh yeah your your disc is herniated you're done right even you know, doctors would say that, right? Surgeons would say that, and even therapists, because if you ha- you believe in that straight model, you're like, okay, yeah, you're, that's never going to go back. So that's it. And so, oh, man, that is the absolute worst thing you can do to anybody, yeah, right?
1: Totally, totally. Right? Yeah, and it happens in the psychological world all right. the time. You, you People become their diagnosis. Right, exactly
0: you know? it. That's right. Yeah.
1: Or yeah. they get on a medication. If you get on a psychiatric medication, like there's all this there's all this emphasis on getting on the medication, but there's no protocol for getting off of it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people get on antidepressants when they're 14, you know, or, you know, nowadays they're even putting like toddlers on antipsychotics, which oh, is man. absolutely
0: ludicrous. Unreal. Unreal.
1: Uh, You know, and not to say that medication can't be useful in some cases for some people, but just there's so much emphasis on getting on it and not enough emphasis on how do you get off the medication safely and effectively and learn some coping skills or some skills to change whatever's causing the symptom in the first place. Uh, You know, I don't don't think, I don't think people's psychological problems are caused by lack of drugs. So, I don't think drugs should be the first intervention. Uh, It should be maybe the last case intervention, but people don't know about alternatives.
0: Yeah, that goes back to what we were talking about with being in control and what not you know being not in control
1: right well, So uh, external locus of control the doctor controls my pain or my symptoms I don't do it I just show up and, and they
0: do it that's right and then it's for some people that they uh, fall into it because now the responsibility is off of yourself right and then well you know you've been and you get frustrated and you, got, you have to understand that it's it's for people that have been pain for years or, or, or dealing with this for years you're just tired of it you know, you're, you're exhausted mentally, physically, you know, exhausted. And so t- thinking about that control and, you know, remember you were saying, you know, you make these columns of what's in my control, what's not in, not in my control. But also, too, sometimes we need to be taught that sometimes what we think is out of our control really is right in our control. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. You know, we have you talked about uh, NLP and, and hypno with un- unconscious control. So, uh, right.
1: you know what? Right. What are your so, like, yeah, I got, with I got that? some good examples of that. So, like right now, I'm actually working with a protocol for my gut because um, I've had chronic gut issues. Right now, my symptoms aren't so bad, but I'd like to get them even better uh, because it's been an ongoing issue for me for a long time. But so, I'm working with a protocol created by this woman that I've assisted with on some trainings of hers, named Melissa Roth. And Melissa does medical hypnotherapy, and so. She works primarily with things like IBS, autoimmune diseases, and chronic pain, like fibromyalgia, with hypnosis, which still sort of blows my mind, and I'm not sure how, you know, how does that even work. Um, But this last time, I I just recently assisted with her on a training, just for a day, helping her with some technical stuff, because she was uh, needing some technical support during it. And it was all about IBS, and I was like, huh, yeah, I think I get how this works now, at least you know, like enough to try it out for myself. Like I'm not working with clients with it yet. It's still, still a new skill for me. Um, but she basically has this whole hypnosis protocol to change your gut function, which is fascinating to me. Um, and she also has hypnosis protocols to eliminate chronic pain. And it's not hundred percent effective for everybody, but it works pretty darn well, apparently. Um, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's it, one of the actually reliable things about hypnosis, which is kind of funny to me because I still haven't, actually gotten to that level myself. It's been used successfully in, uh, in dentistry and surgery as an anesthetic. Before we had anesthesia, hypnosis was one of the first things we used because we didn't have the drugs. Uh, nowadays, the drugs are really convenient. Uh, you know, There's a whole profession around administering them, so we don't really rely on the uh, hypnosis so much anymore unless someone's allergic to the drugs. Uh, but that's fascinating to me that if someone can go into trance turn off pain in some areas of their body to where someone can use a scalpel and cut them open and they don't even feel any pain. Right. Uh, Crazy, right? Right. (laughs) Crazy. It seems
0: crazy. (laughs) And and especially when you're talking, like I've seen that and I've I've known, you know, with surgeons and and, and even the dentists, I've had patients tell me about that. And and even like things like you see it all the time, the smoking cessation and and weight loss and, you know, Habits, but what's interesting to me is you're talking about you know chronic issues, and that you know, how long would this last? How long would it like a hypnotic? Everybody, I think, when uh, people think of hypnosis, just it, it, usually you think of it like as a trance thing, and it's like a trick that only lasts for like you know, whatever the demonstration whatever time that is. Cause yeah. it's, they're
1: thinking of stage hypnosis a right. lot of times exactly. so just for entertainment, you know, and, and state, the purpose of stage hypnosis is to get someone to a state of mind where they're willing to act like a fool in front of their friends right. <laughs> and be able to blame it on the hypnotist, test. Right. So, right. And that's the main thing that's going on there. Uh, but for therapeutic purposes, it's about changing autonomic nervous system responses
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the autonomic nervous system. That auto is like automatic. It happens You know, it happens automatically at an unconscious level, not normally in your conscious control. Uh, So all of the techniques of NLP and hypnosis are aimed at changing those processes that are not typically in our conscious control through different methods. Uh, And I'm not actually very good at hypnotic analgesia or anything yet. I haven't really practiced it. But the other aspects of NLP I'm much more familiar with. So like, you know, like working with anxiety. There's several clear methods that are very effective with anxiety. Uh, that people don't know about it all. I mean, we have we have millions of people going for anti-anxiety drugs all the time, and and being on prescriptions for these things, some of which are very addictive. Uh, the uh, like Xanax and these sorts of things um, are very are, are pretty uh, challenging to get off of sometimes. Uh, but there's actually simple techniques we can use for that. Like one of them, for instance, anxiety almost always is associated with internal dialogue that's very rapid. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what's, uh, yeah, Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, And often anxious people will speak quickly out loud as well, but really like what's going on inside that's generating that state. That's what we're asking in NLP all the time. Like what image, what images or movies are you playing in your mind or what mental dialogue is going through your mind, uh, that sort of thing. Because that's actually what your thoughts are consisting of. When people think about thinking, if you ask somebody, what is thinking? Most people say, I guess it's internal dialogue. And that's what most people think of, including pretty much all cognitive behavioral therapists, at least originally, uh, basically consider thoughts to be internal dialogue. But what most people miss is that internal dialogue and internal pictures have various elements of them that you can actually change and it'll change the meaning without changing the content of it. So if you try to change the content of your internal dialogue directly, which is what a lot of people do. So they try affirmations or, um, you know, they try speaking more nicely to themselves if they're self-critical. Oftentimes that just creates sort of even more inner conflict. It can be useful to an extent, but it can also create more inner conflict because the original thought is automatic.
0: So so you're you're just adding on more to that.
1: Adding on more to that. So it's making Mm -hmm. it more noisy in your head and sort of creating inner conflict. So you actually have to stop the original automatic behavior before you can really put something else new in there. Or at least take the the edge off of it, the emotional tone off of it. So with internal dialogue, you can do all sorts of things. But one of the things you can do is slow it down. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this this great technique from Nick Kemp, who's a hypnotherapist basically in the UK, uh, where he just slows down anxious people's internal dialogue. So he has them say, you know, what's something you say to yourself that makes yourself anxious? And they tell him, and then he says, you know, so do you say this faster than your normal speaking voice or do you say it slower than your normal speaking voice when you hear that in your head? 99% of the time it's faster. Sometimes it is slower and I've, there's stuff, other stuff you can do with that. And then he says it out loud. He says, okay, well, I want you to, to hear it in your head at this pace. So let's say it's, I can't do anything right, or something like that. It'll say, I can't do anything right. So you can even put like an upward inflection at the end. It makes it a, a question, so you're not even sure about it anymore. Right. And then they practice it, hearing back in their head. Then he slows it down even more, practice it again, hearing it in your head. And suddenly the same phrase is relaxing. Hmm. The same phrase you used to say to yourself to make yourself anxious in an automatic way. If you say it deliberately in a slower way, it's actually relaxing. And then you can deal with the situation in a more resourceful state. It gives state. you
0: more time to analyze that, or, or I guess, I mean, Totally,
1: yeah. more space, more time to analyze it there's something about anxiety where there's like this pressure to do it now and figure it out now it's this life or death thing if it really is a life or death thing then it can be useful to get a sympathetic nervous system response and sprint and you know fight back or whatever well that's
0: the term right panic attack panic exactly and a panic implies you know a really short time you know something that's happening so quickly that you can't can't deal with it so yeah, yeah that's really interesting
1: Yeah, and it's an attack, it's violent, Right. it's it's life or death, you know, sympathetic nervous system, but a lot of the things we worry about or get anxious about aren't life or death and they're not happening now. You know, people get anxious about the collapse of the euro, which they can do nothing about. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's I, totally abstract.
0: I like that. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, a you, gr- that's a great distinction, right? There, there's yeah. a different and, and people have talked this, about this before. Robert Sapolsky, right? With the zebras. Totally. Uh, zebras don't get ulcers. It's uh, we're supposed to, uh, you know, the fight or flight response. Right. We're supposed to fight or, or run away. But if that's happening in, in right now at our desk at our computer, well, we're not gonna. Th- <laughs> are we gonna throw that computer out the window? Or are we gonna fight the guy next to us? And we can't. So how do we absorb that? And yeah. so you know we're we're reacting in a way that might have been perfectly you know appropriate for our our ancestors at the time. But now we're doing it now and we we can't, we're not, we don't have any way to displace that adrenaline, right? Displace that anxiety. That's really interesting. Yeah. Slowing and as human down.
1: beings, like we create all this needless suffering because we have this ability to go meta on our situation. We can think about things in the future. We can think of, you know, people can get anxious about being anxious. That's what a panic attack really is. Um, but we can, be, that ability also gives us the ability to analyze our own thinking patterns and to change elements of them to be more resourceful or more useful. And that's, I think, bring it back to stoicism. Mm -hmm. So this is something that's in our control. So the automatic thought is not in our control, but we can also think deliberately, and that's in our control. And so when we think deliberately and we use our metacognition by analyzing our thinking patterns and changing them, then we can make some influence at least on our unconscious processes.
0: You think it's helpful at all to take yourself outside, like imagine yourself taking yourself outside of in your yeah. head, right?
1: Totally. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's actually something we do explicitly in NLP all the time, which is also a really useful basic distinction that most people don't even know they can do in their mind. It's really easy. So if you close your eyes, you can imagine in several different ways. You can, let's say you remember a time in the past are you looking out of your own eyes or do you see yourself in the picture? So, you know, Most people have a default where they do one or the other. And if you see yourself in the picture, how do you feel compared to if you step in your body and look out of your own eyes or vice versa? Most people find if they recall a time when they're looking out of their own eyes, the emotions are more intense. It's like they're reliving the experience. Whereas if they see themselves over there in a picture or like on a TV screen, then it's more detached, it's more objective, it's more distanced. And now people have different associations with these things. For instance, in Gestalt therapy, it's all about getting in your own body. It's all about experiencing things in the first person perspective. But in NLP, we have the saying, everything is useful in some context. Every behavior is useful in some context. Uh, So being distanced, being out of the picture, when is that useful? Well, when you're recalling a, a painful time in the past, sure. why feel yeah. it again?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, put it over there. It's fine. You can still objectively see it. Or maybe you need, you maybe need a more objective perspective on yourself. If you were going to do that with fitness, you might videotape your form in the handstand even post it to get feedback from somebody else but you can do that in your own mind from your own experiences so let's say you get into an argument with your friend or your wife or your husband and you're like okay you know they're saying some things that you know i don't think are true but let me let me just check them out in my mind you can step out of the situation see yourself see the other person and sort of notice objectively was i really behaving that way
0: Maybe you were. <laughs> you were. Maybe you were, right. <laughs> I like that when you're saying objective, right? Uh, and, and we have a lot of that ability now with like, you know, our cameras on our phone or our computer. And and maybe we have it in our head that, you know, we'll go back to the handstand example. Like right? in your head, you're like, my handstand is terrible. I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get it, right? But if if you look at the video, you take yourself out of it and you go, hey, that's not too bad, right? I mean, look, I'm, I'm able to do this. Or you have... You know, your coach look at it and you're like and point out some things and then you see it, too. You're like, instead of him, you're thinking, oh, he's just telling me this or she's just telling me this. You're like, oh, I see it. You know, I, I, I like that, that obje- objectivity. And that goes back to another thing I wanted to talk about, and, you know, this self-comparison, uh, you know, with Facebook and all this social media and everything. We're, we're seeing all of these people like they seem perfect, right, if in terms of <laughs> in, in fitness right you're going to you're seeing these these images of of someone that's you know dieted down and worked out for this particular hour of a photo shoot and right. are you going to compare yourself to them you know a lot of people are Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and there's,
1: there's this whole thing about self-other comparison. So comparing yourself to somebody else, and there's tons of research on this about how it lowers self-esteem. <laughs> right.
0: How could it not? How could it not? <laughs> exactly. You know, especially yeah. now, there's just all of these examples and, and they're, they're unreal. They're, you know, there's, there's something that is just compound and multiplied to a, a really high state of unreality. Right. Because before we could walk around and and then you're you're in your your hometown, you're walking around, you're seeing people in the mall, on the street, right? Normal people, right? That's the definition. It's people around you. (laughs) But now you have all these outlets where you can see these people that are not like you.
1: Right. right and and apps on your phone where you can airbrush your face right and you know all this stuff so it's like yeah no, you can't really believe any of the images you see anymore um or, you know, there was something recently about some teenage girl who had this famous instagram with like a million followers or something and she finally came out and was like you know this is all a lie i've been you know and, and not just me but everyone is doing this who has all these followers and, you know, I took a hundred takes for this, you know, natural looking photo and I put on all this makeup and stuff and had all the lighting be perfect. And just to make it look like it was just casual, right. um, it's, you know, it's all a lie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but this, the self other comparison, I mean, I, I try to check myself when I do this myself cause it's whenever I'm feeling bad about my own abilities, I'm usually comparing myself with somebody right. else.
0: It's a natural thing too. Though. Yeah. It's a natural right. thing.
1: You know, as a social animal, as human beings. We want to do this. Uh, but really, it's it's the worst thing if you want to want to have self-esteem or want to even be focused on anything you can do because you can't do anything about other people. You can really only do things about your own actions. I'm coming back to stoicism or or locus of control again. Uh, but one thing that I found for comparison that is useful actually, there's two kinds. One is of course comparing yourself with how you were, you know, a month ago if you're making steady progress on something, and that's great just to compare you know especially in the that sort of you know medium to short term of like you know i'm making improvements i'm working on it and i'm getting a little bit better even if it's only 1% better that's still progress or improvement so that can be a useful kind of comparison self self comparison and there's another kind of comparison that i think people don't really think about but can be really useful uh there was a reddit thread on the fitness forum over there a while back about you know a guy posted you know i'm in my 40s now and well, you know, will I ever be able to run uh, you know, a 620 mile or a five minute mile or something like that if I train for it? Um, you know, I just, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't want to train for it and not be able to get this goal or something like that. And I responded, well, you know, I don't know if you'll be able to get that goal, but here's how you could think about it instead of whether you'll get the goal or not. You could think about the you that trains for that five minute mile and the you that doesn't run at all. Right, exactly. <laughs> A year from now, and look at those two pictures in your mind and think, you know, which guy can run faster? <laughs> right, exactly.
0: I like that. Like i reframing, right? right? Yeah, versus yeah. Uh, um, and when we talk about expectations and whether they're realistic or unrealistic, you don't want it to be limiting, but there has to be some way to moderate your expectations.
1: Right. I mean, we don't really know what our potential is in any given area. I think that's really the bottom line. Like, like people try to believe that they have a certain high potential because they think that will lead to them success or, you know, they fall into the trap of not believing they have much potential. But I like the idea of just not knowing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, just, just sort of. Opening up the space and saying, I don't really know what I'm capable of here, but I know if I work hard at it and I get some good strategies and maybe some coaching, I can get farther than if I do nothing at all. That's right. <laughs> right. That's pretty clear.
0: I think that's great. There was a, I'm not sure who first said it. I think it might've been Dan John, but it, he was saying something to the effect of people overestimate what they can do in like a month or three and underestimate what they can do in a year right, right? Yeah. and it's that time frame and, and and part of that is if you can consistently find yourself working for that year oh man it's just it's, it's amazing what can happen it's yeah. amazing and I mean, we you know yeah. that's a, part, a lot of the memes and a lot of these things where you people do the time lapse right i think those are great right <laughs> yeah. you're the guy was big and you need to lose weight but then you see it over time right and i think it's partly motivating. It, it's motivating, of course, if you see that thing. But I, I think of it as, wow, look at that time. He was able to do that for for, for a year right, or yeah. six months. To right. me, that's more motivating totally. than, than the transformation itself. I'm like, wow, he really had it within himself to just keep going.
1: Totally. Because right? you can't yeah.
0: see it day to day. You can't. Yeah.
1: You know, it's all about that consistency. It's all about those habits, and about building those in to be automatic as part of your schedule, and and almost not exciting. Like if the habit is still exciting, it's like still in the early stages. Uh, once it becomes boring, and it's just something you do after work, you go to the gym and you train, or you know you just eat in this particular way. I think that's when it actually you start getting real results is when it's actually just like oh, this is just who I am. This is just kind of boring and Right know, and then the I equation,
0: like the important part of that equation is just time mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Right? And of course it can be fun
1: elements of that, but like it's not new. You know, like like all the marketing stuff is just like, you know, so exciting and you know, this big, big exciting thing is gonna happen. And you know, that that's okay to get started, I guess. But like the actual day in and day out is really just about habits. It's mm-hmm. just about the consistency. That's harder to sell.
0: Yeah it is. For sure. Right. Well and and that is right though. I mean if you look at it in a positive way, if if that marketing can initiate something. Yeah. Right. And then once you're in it, if there's if there's a mechanism or a process to, to encourage a regularity of it, then you know, then that's not as manipulative as, as maybe it probably is. Indeed. And this is great. So we went well, I don't think we went too all over the place. I mean, we started talking about stoicism and then locus mm-hmm. control, and then and then all of these things. Whether something, whether you have a conscious or an unconscious level of, of you know expectations, and what, and then you're you're talking about. Well, now that I've decided what I'm in control of and what I'm not, is that correct? So a little bit of self analysis of you know, are you, is it really out of your control? Is this or is this really in my control? And then, and, and, and then going on to, well, how do we objectively look at ourselves versus comparing ourselves to other people or comparing ourselves to our expectation and whether that's unrealistic or, or, or wanting that, that six-minute mile, you know, wanting that six-minute mile versus training for it and enjoying that process until it gets to a regular point where, wow, this guy has trained six months for it. And he's got to be, you have got to be better off than the guy who hasn't trained for it. It just makes sense, right? Yeah, totally. Right. So, um, thanks a lot. I really appreciate you coming yeah, on to was our podcast. I this lots of fun. I
1: hope, I hope the listeners also enjoyed our conversation, and I certainly did. Oh, least. this
0: fun. I always love talking with you. So, yeah. uh, in our show notes, we're going to put some different links. We'll look up the different stuff. And then awesome. also, uh, for your site...
1: duffmcduffie.com. yeah we'll
0: send people over to you and you can learn a little bit more about what Duff's doing and also uh, you know what he can do to help you if you're interested in that Uh, if you need anything please contact us at info at gmb.io we're always here for you and thanks a lot Duff really appreciate it thanks so much All right. for more great info join us over
1: at gmb.io and be sure to check us out on iTunes and YouTube